All right, so check this out. Amen Conference, you need to come. This June, we have our Amen Conference, which simply means we have people coming from all around the world for three days of acceleration and three nights of revival. It is going to be the biggest revival party of the year, and we would love to see you there. So why don't you check it out, amenconference.org. Get your tickets, and we'll see you soon. Now enjoy today's sermon. I'm bringing the seventh installment today. How many know that that's God's number? We're going to complete some things today. And I want to launch it with Philippians 3.12. Open up your Bibles through 17 in the New Living Translation version. Some of this you might have recognized from a couple weeks ago, but we're going to take it one verse further. But we're going to start it off in verse 12. I don't mean to say, this is Paul speaking, that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press, somebody say press, on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Wow. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. You ever argue with your spouse like that? If you disagree at any point, I pray that God will illuminate your mistakes. Verse 16, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. And check this out. We're going to camp out here in verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. There is clearly a forward momentum to Paul's life. He's going somewhere. He's flowing somewhere. He's running towards something. Life is not just happening to him, but he's happening to life. He's got a trajectory. He's got a vision. He's got a forward momentum. He's not hung up on the past. He's focused on the press, looking forward to what's ahead. He's not hung up on what's behind but he's holding on to the progress. Paul is on his way to the prize. And in that posture, chapter 17, he says, pattern after me. Another translation says, imitate me. Another translation says, follow me. And in our modern day, in our context today, that sounds a little bit narcissistic. Here's my Instagram handle. Here's my Twitter handle. Follow me. Here's my TikTok page. Imitate me. Here's my channel. Like, comment, subscribe. Smash the subscribe button. In our context, it slightly sounds like Paul is wanting to be an influencer. When in reality, his invitation to imitation is not directed to just himself, but to all of those that are setting an example. Paul is just not calling us to follow him but to be followable ourselves. And that's where it gets really uncomfortable. Because maybe after this series, you're already down to follow Paul. For sure you are down to follow Jesus, even follow a good example of a pastor. But what if I were to tell you that you're called to be followable yourself? That's confronting. And the way I want to orient my question today is this. If we're meant to live a life worth following, how do we do that when I feel like a failure? I want to tackle that topic with a sermon word titling, Call Me Crazy, But Follow Me. Call Me Crazy, 
but follow me. Let's pray one more time. Lord God, we thank you, God, for your upward call, your high call. We thank you, God, that we are citizens of heaven, and we thank you, God, for that passport. We thank you for kingdom culture, that we're meant to bring heaven onto earth. So we pray that we're inspired today to follow you and to follow all the examples that are rising up in this community. I pray over the NBA finals. We pray that the ratings are super low, so they fix it so that the Warriors go next year. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen, amen. Why don't you high five five people before you take your seat. Thank you, Vibe Worship. So I don't know about you, but I'm in Enneagram 3. You're welcome. Oh, you don't know the Enneagram personality test? Well, let me catch you up because a number three is an achiever, a producer, a go-getter. You're welcome. I mean, Paul was probably an Enneagram three, but you don't have to call me apostle. See, my wife, she's an Enneagram one, which means she's a perfectionist, which means she's purposeful, which means she is principled. She has a strong sense of right and wrong. She's very black and white. Let's just say I got a little bit more color. See, we paint outside the lines as Enneagram threes. It was so funny at dinner the other day, my eldest daughter, Lennox, who's seven, she holds up her drawing. She had the kids menu. She holds up her drawing, which she colored in. And we look up and it is perfectly colored in. There is no color outside of the lines. It is perfect. I was like, well done, Lennox, Enneagram one. And then my second daughter, Emerson, she holds up her picture, and let's just say she's a little bit more like her dad. Honey, that's creative. <laughs> Our kids take after us, right? They reflect us. They follow us, and I love it so much when Kim gets it in, in with Lennox a little bit, and then she gets frustrated, and she turns to me, where does this daughter get this attitude? And I just look straight, and I don't say anything. <laughs> Fellas, that's wisdom. But they take after us, right? So we have to be aware. We have to be cognizant. Because, for example, Enneagram 1s have so many strengths, right? They are teachers. They are improvers. You know, one of the explanations says they are moral heroes. But how many know for every strength there can be a struggle? And so sometimes with Enneagram 1s, there's this thing called the inner critic, the inner critic that says you messed up. The inner critic that says you're not good enough. The inner critic that says you should have done that better. I was in LA with a few friends at a conference the other week and I was talking to one of the leaders. She was telling me how she's an Enneagram one and how her husband is an Enneagram three. And in my mind, I was like, yup, I get that. That's an explosive duo right there. And she was explaining to me how, yeah, sometimes a struggle is how this creeps up, this inner critic creeps up. And I know a little bit about Enneagram 1s because Kim, my wife, she is an Enneagram 1. So I try to console her. I try to encourage her. I was like, don't worry. Enneagram 3s, we have inner critics as well. It's just that my inner critic says I'm awesome all the time. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Enneagram 3s have flaws. I know that's a surprise, but we do have flaws. The psychology is this, that, that we can live in our achievement, attainments, and accolades so much so that we hide in them. 
And the reason why I'm explaining this is because we learn in the Philippians, this passage to the Philippian church that Paul pens, that he has the acute ability and self-awareness in himself to explicitly point out that if anyone should have confidence in achievement, if anyone should have confidence in accolades, it should be him, but it won't be. Even though he's pure blood. In, in earlier on in Philippians 3, even though he has status amongst the religious elite, even though he had top marks when it came to obedience, zealousness, and passion, he counts all of that now as worthless in comparison to knowing Jesus, the infinite value of our Savior. My goodness, Paul is teaching us that we don't have to be captive to our personalities, but rather captivated by our progress. Not resting in the current place that we're in, but pressing towards the prize, pressing towards our purpose. In another letter, he says, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm really fighting. I'm really training out here. I'm really disciplining my body, my mind, my soul for the benefit of what? You. So that some may be saved. This is like Mamba mentality, okay? This is really inspirational. And rightfully so, because he's one of the greatest to ever do it. He's the GOAT. He's one of the greatest authors of all time. He's one of the greatest church planners of all time. He's one of the greatest leaders of all time. It's a legendary apostle, Paul. So when he says, follow me, why would I not? That's wisdom, right? I find it so funny sometimes when my single friends, they, they tell me they got some relationship advice just to identify that they got that relationship advice from another single person. Like, like, like it would be wisdom if I'm going to get fitness advice, I want that person to have a six-pack. You know what I'm saying? So, so Paul knows some things. He's, he's experienced. He actually wrote the, the tenets, the foundations of our faith. So when it comes to faith, he's an obvious follow. And maybe you're already in that place. Maybe you're in a place where you're down to follow Paul. You're down to follow examples like a pastor. But what about you yourself being followable? Because Paul says this in verse 17, where we're camping today, pattern your lives after mine, not period. Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. He's saying, don't just follow him, but also anyone else that wants to be an example. Are you an example? That's the question today. And why I think that's such an important question, because I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like a great example. I don't always get it right with my kids. I don't always get it right in my marriage. I've made mistakes in business. Literally three days ago, I got a traffic violation while taking Lennox to school. That's real life. Paul is calling us to be followable, but if I'm honest, how can I be followable when I feel like a failure? And this is not the first time the Bible calls people out on this tenet. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 12, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 7, remember the leaders who taught you the word of God? Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow what? The example of their faith. In 1 Peter 5, 2 through 3, 
He compels leaders in the church. Check this out. Care for the flock that God had entrusted you with. Watch over it willingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. So it's challenging to me is that it seems like the Bible is pointing out by design that we're not only meant to follow Jesus. That can sound like a controversial statement because yes, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Yes, Jesus is our prize. He is our focus. But the Bible also says to follow Paul as he follows Jesus. But not just Paul, but also Timothy and Peter and anybody else that wants to rise up to be a good example. And that's really the tension, right? How can I be a good example if I'm not good? I don't know about you, but how many people are good until you're not? You know what I'm saying? Like, like you're good until you're not good. I, I remember this time where me and my family, we were good, good. Like I'm talking holiday break good. I'm talking about Christmas morning. We just opened the presents good. I'm talking about my fourth and final child, Wesley, turned one on Christmas morning because she was born on December 25th good. I'm talking about we had a flight to Hawaii that afternoon good for family vacation. We were good, good until we weren't. It wasn't for lack of preparation. It wasn't for lack of planning. We were all packed and ready to go. We were at the airport and we were met with a delay. And I'm telling you that when you're at the airport delayed waiting a few hours with four young kids, if you were once good, you are no longer good. Okay? The flight kept getting more and more delayed all the way into the evening until it was canceled. Mm. Some, some people are saying, amen. They were part of this debacle. Like literally just eight hours earlier, we were good. We were so good. And eight hours later, we were so not. Delay turned into seeming defeat. So we packed up all of our stuff and we went back home. And that, that was the moment where we had a decision to make. Were we going to stay in our feelings or were we going to try to figure things out? See, being an example doesn't mean you're always good. Being an example doesn't mean you're always winning. Being an example doesn't even mean that everything's always working out. Being an example, though, is showing that you're working. See, faith is not walking out a fairy tale. Faith is working through complex, complicated, messy situations and having a willingness to figure it out. So Kim and I, we, we took all the kids, we ordered some DoorDash, got them on dinner, and we start researching online other flights to get to Honolulu. San Francisco, booked. Oakland, booked. We widen our search. Kim finds a flight from L.A. to Honolulu that leaves at 7 a.m. that morning. I say, book it. She books it. And she says, oh, but there's no, there's no flights from San Jose to L.A., I said, baby, we don't need a flight. We get in the car and we're going to drive to LAX. So we were packing up the car and it was so funny because 
Emerson, my second, she looks at me a little bit stunned, fatigued for sure. It's past her bedtime. And she goes, Daddy, this is crazy. I said, Emerson, you can call us crazy, but today you're going to learn that Roush family never gives up. See, to be a good example, you don't have to be fully good, but you just can't give up. So we drove six hours from San Jose to L.A., got delayed again in L.A. for another couple hours, realized this is a national debacle where like 3,000 flights were canceled over the last couple days. So we continue to pray. We decide to persevere until finally they finally get the pilot. They finally get the flight attendants and the plane shows up and we're in the air on the way to Hawaii. Six hours later, I'm sitting on the beach and I look to Emerson and I say, this is crazy, huh? <laughs> Roush family doesn't give up. When Paul calls us to be an example, he's not calling us to perfection. He's not calling us to avoid trouble. He's not disqualifying us because of complex situations and mess. But what he's calling us to is the journey of being perfected, to be an example of what it means to pursue Jesus. Yes, we should look at Jesus directly. We should fix our focus on Jesus, but we also need examples of those that are pursuing him. We need examples of overcoming. We need examples of pressing. We need examples of working. We need examples of fathers that are leaders for their family. We need examples of mothers servant-hearted in their households. We need examples of business leaders, not just focused on income, but integrity. We need technologists building based on principles, not just profit. We need examples of marriages persevering and prevailing. We need examples of relationships where people give more than they take. We need Jesus, but we need examples of those that are pursuing Jesus, and it's by design. It's by design that this process of people pursuing Jesus will display another facet of Christ's character. Follow me as I follow Christ, not because I'm a cheap copy, but because I'm a unique reflection. My imitation is not a bootleg version. My imitation is the Imago Dei, an image of God that portrays a different viewpoint of God. God chooses to work through you. God chooses to show his goodness through you. God chooses to manifest his presence through you. You, not, you are not a cheap copy. You are a container for God's presence. You're not a mere puppet. You are in partnership with the Holy Spirit to bring the cultures of heaven onto this earth in a very unique and distinct way that only you can do it because that's what God created you to do. What I'm trying to say is you are fashioned to be followable because Paul goes on to say we are citizens of heaven. Can I tell you, this is a good culture to carry. A citizen of heaven means you're called to be followable. You're called to be an example. In Corinthians, Paul explains it as you're called to be an ambassador. 
2 Corinthians 5.11 says this, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We're giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Skip down to verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Come on. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. God wants to make an appeal through you to your community. You are called to be divinely persuasive. You are called to build somebody's faith. Do you know why Paul didn't limit the followership to Jesus or himself? Because Paul knew he wouldn't live in Palo Alto. Paul knew he couldn't reach everyone, and the people that he wouldn't reach, you should. Because Paul doesn't live in the Silicon Valley. He doesn't work at Facebook or Google. He doesn't work for a Bay Area public school or started a tech company. He doesn't go to Phil's Coffee. He doesn't go to Blue Bottle. He hasn't shopped at Valley Fair. He doesn't go to a gym, a CrossFit gym in Palo Alto. He's not a venture capitalist. He knows nothing about cryptocurrency, by the way. He doesn't live in your neighborhood, but you do. And you're called to be an ambassador in that place. You're meant to be what? Persuasive. Corinthians says, winsome, uphold biblical values and principles, walk in the ways of God by his word. You're meant to work hard because you understand your responsibility. You're meant to work hard in your sincerity. You're meant to take your ministry seriously, to connect people back to God by being an example. How many people want to be an example now? I know I want to be an example. Okay, 50%. We'll get everybody else on board in just a second. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Here's a progression that people will find followable. Number one, write this down. Stir up ambition. Come on, stir it up. I get so stirred up when I talk about ambition. I'm talking about the holy kind, a holy ambition. We need more holy ambition in the kingdom of God, a passion, a drive, a determination, Ambition cannot be monopolized by Elon Musk. You know why? Because Tesla can't save us. Twitter can't save us. SpaceX can't save us. Artificial intelligence cannot save us. Only the maker of intelligence can save us. Only the designer of the heavens and the earth can save us. Only the creator of communication can save us. Only the one that has defeated death which means he's defeated our sin, can save us. I love getting stirred up about how ambition can solve problems. I love, I'm an entrepreneur, getting stirred up about how solutions can be scaled. But at some point, these things need to have an aim. And I'm going to tell you a secret right now in the Silicon Valley that most people's aim and what they're doing, why they're doing, is to elevate human consciousness so that at some point we can find our purpose. I'm here to tell you that 
You can keep elevating human consciousness to no end. It's not about elevating human consciousness. It's about encountering it. Paul was so fixed on elevating human knowledge, human consciousness. He was part of the religious elite that was aspiring to this. He was so, so pragmatic in his faith and he thought he was working for God just to find out he was working against God. And on his path of seeking elevation of consciousness on the road to Damascus, he finally encounters it. And his name is Jesus. And that set him on a different path that otherwise he wouldn't have been in himself. It was the encounter in Damascus that put his ambition on mission. And that's my second key in the progression of being followable is to stir up ambition and then stick to the mission. Stick to the mission. First, you got to define it for yourself. And it's not that elusive, okay? I'm going to help somebody out right now because the Bible makes it clear. The Bible makes the mission of the church really clear. It's this, go and make disciples of all nations. The Bible makes it clear, Vibe Church makes it sexy. We say, so that people would be awakened to the reality of Jesus. The Bible makes it clear. See, Vibe Church makes it cool, and it's your job to make it contextual. And so this is what I do. You don't have to do this. I encourage you to do it, but this is what I do, okay? I'm building a company called The Overflow to inspire the world to give. Why do I want to inspire the world to give? So that people could be awakened to the reality of Jesus. If you're selling real estate, sell homes in a way so that people could be awakened to the reality of Jesus. If you are a teacher in the public schools here in the Bay Area, teach in a way so that people could be awakened to the reality of Jesus. If you are a UX, UI designer, produce work in a way so that people could be awakened to the reality of Jesus. Put your ambition on mission because when Paul says imitate me, he wasn't saying imitate my skill sets, my privileges, or my achievements. He was saying imitate my virtues, my values, my humility, and the way I serve others. Stir up ambition, stick to the mission. And my third and final point, is this, submit to his power. Submit to his power. Because I got to tell you, the world needs to see victorious Christians. The type of Christian that knows they serve a God that empowers them to be more than a conqueror. And being a conqueror is already pretty good, right? But the Bible says you are more than that. You are more than a conqueror. You are more than an overcomer. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit that whatever circumstance you're facing right now, you are not a victim to it, but you are victorious over it. So we were in Hawaii, right? But I didn't finish the story. While we had taken a one-way from L.A. to Honolulu, our flight back was from Honolulu to San Jose but our car was at LAX. (laughs) Smart, I know. 
this predicament was causing a little pressure for Kim and I. But we finally made it to Hawaii. So I said, babe, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I didn't know how we were going to figure it out. It just so happened that on the day of Kim's birthday, while we were in Hawaii that week, there was a couple other friends and fellow Vibe community members, Daniel and Annalise Reyes, that were there that we invited out to dinner. And we were giving them the whole download of how we finally got to Hawaii, but how we had a car at LAX. And they said, well, you know, Deb is in LA, right? What do you mean? Deb, <laughs> on our worship team, was in LA. And we're like, what are you talking about? Tell us more. And so long story short, Kim texts Deb. And it was kind of a Hail Mary. We were like, Deb, I don't know. This is a long shot. But is there any reason you need a car to go from L.A. to the Bay? She immediately texts back and goes, it's a miracle. Kim squeals. She goes, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. She says, it's a miracle. I'm like, what does that mean? She's like, I don't know, but I think it's good. Deb proceeds to explain to us how her flight got canceled and she was stranded in L.A., no way to get back to the Bay. Until now, this fun example got me to thinking, isn't that God? That he can turn what you thought was a bind <laughs> into somebody else's breakthrough. See, see. You thought you were living with a burden, and maybe you are, but what if it's for the purpose of somebody else's blessing? That's our God. That's our God, that he has the power to turn all things together for his good. For those that are called according to his purpose, will you submit to his power? I don't know how you came in today. Maybe with a little bit of stress. Maybe with overwhelming anxiety maybe with pressure that's trying to overcome you right now. I'm actually trying to talk to the person that's aimed at figuring it out, but you still feel like a failure. This message is not going to help you avoid failure. Failure is inevitable. But in my Bible, it says the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. You know why the godly, you know why the saints can get up again? It's because our Jesus taught us how to get up again. So when I say follow me, I say follow me as I dust myself off. I say follow me as I resurrect myself from this pit of despair. I say follow me as I shake off this situation. Follow me as I invite the Holy Spirit to take this seeming failure to produce fruit. That's what I wanted to say, is that it looks like a failure, but what fruit is it producing? Is it producing love, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, self-control, a little bit of discipline? What fruit is it producing? Can we stand to our feet in the presence of God? You don't need to follow my failure, but rather the faith that I have in the fruit it's producing. When I submit my failure to the power of God, it produces a faith that you can follow. 
Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't want to miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org, to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.